For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some access deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I venison.com and use promo code cal for 20 percent off your first order outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems things like hard starts rough performance and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup sea foam can help your engine run better and last longer simply pour a can in your gas tank hunters and anglers rely on sea foam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. That's SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. From Mediator's World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, this is Cal's Week in Review presented by Steel. Steel products are available only at authorized dealers. For more, go to SteelDealers.com. Now... Here's your host, Ryan Cal Callahan. The Global Blitzkrieg Hypothesis of Animal Extinctions asserts that hunting by colonizing prehistoric human societies killed off several species way before the invention of the rifle. For example, there were a whole lot of enormous animals here in the Americas tens of thousands of years ago, like the woolly mammoth, the mastodon, the American horse, the American camel, as well as the gamphotheer, which is something I haven't heard of. It's an animal that descended from the order Proboscidae, of which the elephant is the only living member. If you were a mean kid and you wanted to remember that word, Proboscidae, you could pick on someone with a tooth that sticks way out by calling them a member of the order Proboscidae. I don't understand, and I won't respond to it. Anyway, humans showed up in the Americas, a new species unknown to the aforementioned megafauna, and now none of these animals remain. So many scientists have claimed that us bloodthirsty Homo sapiens did them all in before they could figure out that we were killing them. Other hypotheses, ones that I find more convincing, pin the blame on several factors, including a changing climate around the same time. What we do know for almost certain is there's no such thing as a simple explanation in nature. The odds of finding a singular answer, such as, do you know who killed the woolly mammoth? Bob. Well, you know, it just doesn't exist. So if you want to get even more complex and say, you know who killed the woolly mammoth, the woolly rhino, and all those other members of the proboscidiae order? Well, that gets more complex. You're just not going to find it. However, a new team conducting a study out of the Tel Aviv University in Israel 
as opposed to, you know, the Tel Aviv Night University down there in Queens, New York, is reviving the humans as killing machines theory. And I will admit this team has done their homework. They collected all available data from every excavation since 1932 in the area that is now Israel, Palestine, Syria, Jordan, and Lebanon. And they've been tracking the animal bones that were found in 133 distinct dirt layers, each layer representing a different archaeological era. 83 different species were discovered, and the size of those species kept going down as time went on. The scientists therefore concluded that, from as far back as 1.5 million years ago, the days of Homo erectus, people targeted the biggest animals first, wiped them out, then the next biggest, and the next biggest, and so on. The Tel Aviv study tracks a progression from ancient elephants that weighed more than twice as much as modern African elephants, all the way down to gazelles, hares, and turtles, as species after species vanished. What do you think of that? Now, I didn't analyze findings from every archaeological dig across an entire geographical region from the last 90 years, but I would like to offer the flip side to this one. If, let's say, this region of Israel, Palestine, Syria, Jordan, and Lebanon went through, I don't know, some sort of warming trend that changed the food and water sources in the region from ones of uh, abundance to scarcity, wouldn't that also change the landscape from one that favored a multitude of large animal species, animals that, let's say, are twice the size of African elephants, to a landscape that was more conducive to smaller animals that required less food and water and had a greater ability to hide from a scorching sun? What? Too sciencey for you? Ah, go ahead, believe that your ancient ancestors were such incredible hunters that they were able to eradicate whole herds of woolly mammoths and gamphotheres from entire continents with rocks and brains slightly larger than rocks. This week, we've got fox fisticuffs, wandering wolves, and the policy desk. But first, I'm going to tell you about my week. And my week was a cold and fairly miserable type of week, really. I went all the way out to Devil's Lake, North Dakota, caught exactly two perch at negative 30 degrees, which is cold. Cold enough to send a little tickle of fight-or-flight response deep into our cave person brains. That little tickle, I believe, says, be careful. You shouldn't be messing with this. Be careful. No mistakes. Certainly don't lick that. No mistakes. You screw up. You might die. Now, I know that sounds very dramatic, but it's actually pretty accurate. It's that little voice that says, put on your big boots. Grab that really big jacket and grab your mittens, even though you're just running into town for a jug of milk. Because if things go wrong, well, you're gonna freeze, maybe lose some digits. And if I'm being honest, I enjoy that type of weather. I like that feeling. But the part that I was not enjoying was getting COVID and spending 48 hours alternating between crazy fever dreams bathed in sweat and chills so bad that I thought the furnace had seized up and quit all while my joints felt like someone had come in and crucified me in the back of a double-wide trailer. The only highlight was bumping into Matthew McConaughey, which was cool, but I couldn't think of anything good to say, 
So I unfortunately and embarrassingly lied about liking his book. He apparently knew that I was lying and wandered off to take a blatantly fake phone call. One of those things where you don't want to talk to someone so bad that you actually fake getting a phone call and pretend like you just got to take it in order to get out of talking to that person. Like I said, embarrassing. But if I'm being honest, he looked kind of tuned up at the time. So maybe he won't remember. And all this happened while I was in the back of that double-wide trailer in North Dakota. So anything's possible, right? I didn't do it to be cool. I didn't do it to make a statement. I just liked it. Only other highlight or low light from that alternating sweaty and frozen bed was not being able to operate the childproof cap on a bottle of NyQuil to the point that I searched in the darkness for my Benchmade pocket knife in an attempt to vent the bottle by force. I think, uh, I think I'll just remember my October trip to North Dakota when it rained four inches. Moving on. An update on our UK fox hunting coverage. On December 27th, in the village of Laycock in northern England, starting point for one of the oldest fox hunts in the world, an enormous brawl broke out between hunt participants and members of the Wiltshire Hunt Saboteurs. For anyone who remembers the part of European vacation where the English guy is so polite that he apologizes for getting hit by the car, the videos of the encounter may come as a surprise. Lots of hard punches landed, screaming. Very bad manners in general, like uh, soccer hooliganism. Hunt opponents have presented video evidence of two dead foxes that they say were killed illegally on Ministry of Defense property, and three men on the saboteur side have been arrested as of early January. On this side of the pond, conflict between hunters and antis has also been cropping up. On December 26th, agents for Louisiana Department of Fish and Wildlife arrested 32-year-old Brendan Nolan on charges of harassment of a person lawfully hunting, as well as simple assault, criminal damage to property, and illegal discharge of a firearm. Nolan was caught on tape plowing his boat into the decoy spread of a group of nearby duck hunters, shouting at said hunters, then pulling out a pistol and shooting some of the decoys. Tempting to think that maybe Nolan uh, was socially awkward and wanted to join in on the hunt, but uh, was very confused about uh, duck-shaped objects. Yeah, that's a bit of a stretch. I don't think that defense is going to uh, hold water. (laughs) Meanwhile, in Vermont, and this is taken directly from the Vermont Department of Fish and Wildlife, Topsham resident Theodore Shumway and two companions were hunting black bear with hounds in the 26,000-acre Groton State Forest near Noyes Pond on October 9, 2021. A bear led the hounds onto private property before climbing a tree. The hunters entered the woods from Buzzy's Road and retrieved the hounds, leaving the bear in the tree. All of this totally legal. On returning to his truck with leashed hounds, Mr. Shumway encountered Donna Babick and Betty Eastman releasing air from the tires of his truck. Following an argument between the parties, one of the two women allowed a German shepherd out of their vehicle. The loose German shepherd attacked and injured one of the leashed hounds, which required veterinary care. The game warden cited Miss Babick and Miss Eastman with violations of Title 10 VSA 4708, interfering with hunting, fishing, or trapping. 
Managing Vermont's wildlife for a public with diverse values is challenging and a privilege, said Commissioner Christopher Herrick. I encourage all Vermonters to join me in remembering our shared passion for wildlife, no matter how different our practices or approaches may be, and to remain civil and respectful as we discuss these important conservation issues. Babbick and Eastman were each fined $262 and will lose their license privileges for fishing, hunting, and trapping for a year, which I'm sure will sting. I hope they also began acting neighborly and paid for the hound's vet bill. Maybe uh, Mr. Shumway will return that neighborly kindness with a nice pie baked with bear fat. (gasps) I've got a silky bottom! Speaking conflict, Yellowstone wolves are in the news again. This time, media outlets around the country picked up a shocking headline proclaiming that the long-term viability of the gray wolf species is in danger after hunters killed 20 Yellowstone wolves this year, the most since the canines were reintroduced in 1996. Of course, they weren't killed in the park, which would be illegal, but since Montana, Idaho, and Wyoming all allow wolf hunting, sometimes wolves are killed when they cross that national park boundary. And that's what happened this year. Fifteen wolves were killed in Montana, and another five were killed in Idaho and Wyoming, according to the AP. Some park officials told the AP that the killings this year represented a, quote, significant setback for the species' long-term viability. This struck me as strange, mostly because the gray wolf population in the lower 48 has risen from virtually zero to more than 2,000 in the last 25 years. Call me skeptical, but I'm not sure how the death of 20 wolves represents a setback for the entire species. It's also worth noting that there are still about 94 wolves in Yellowstone, which is consistent with the population levels since 2008. The population spiked in the early 2000s to greater than 150 individuals, but since about 2008 has remained steady at around 100 wolves. In 2018, the population shrank down to about 80 individuals, but has since recovered. For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt and find more birds this spring. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam motor treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. I guarantee you've listened to them because I use it you know, regularly. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. 
Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. You've heard that name before because I've talked about them here on this podcast. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. Now, it's wild axis deer, which is an invasive species, but this operation is monitored and observed by the USDA, and they can commercially sell axis deer. Last time I went out to uh, Maui to hunt axis, I did not kill one, which is where Maui Nui Venison would come in very handy for folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful and still want to have something in the freezer or uh, handy in the form of a snack stick that is as close to getting your own as you can get which is what Maui Nui Venison is. You can become a snack subscriber, get some Axis Deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I, venison.com, and use promo code CAL for 20% off your first order. Moving on to the lab-grown meat Petri dish. After much fanfare from the industry, a ton of hopeful media coverage, and an influential report from a think tank called the Good Food Initiative, a separate and very exhaustive and potentially damning study by the group Open Philanthropy was just released that concludes that lab-grown meat Uh, ain't gonna work. David Humbird, the chemical engineer who led the open philanthropy study, said, quote, it was hard to find an angle that wasn't a ludicrous dead end. The report concluded that on pretty much every front, biological, thermodynamic, technological, economic, there is no way to make fake meat viable. And Humbird went on to call the effort not just a no-go, but a fractal of no's, which, incidentally, was the name of my Pink Floyd cover band in college. The lunatic is in my head. <laughs> you know, we could have made it big. Anyway, you may be thinking, fine. So a bunch of rich investors waste a bunch of money on the boondoggle of fake meat. Who cares? But what's at stake? Get it? At stake, fake meat. Anyway, just like a bad band getting funding, it pulls funding away from the real talent out there. The competition that lab-grown meat is competing in, as you know, is not best burger, but, uh, excuse the roast there, but the climate change competition and the massive government funding that has gone to lab-grown meat could have been going to a much better band. A fractal of yeses, perhaps. While I'm sure we'll see rebuttal in the lab-grown meat industry, this story does give me the opportunity to bring this up one more time. Petri dishes do not need green grass, clean water, and space. But you know what does? Cattle. You've heard me say it before, I'm a cows, not condos type of guy, and I fear, hopefully baselessly, but I don't think so, that if the world were to shift to synthetic meats, that connection to the soil, to the grass, and yes, to the animals, would also shift and go away. And where the hell would we be then? All right, I'm going to move on. Quit uh, proselytizing here. Moving on to the legislation desk. Over the next few weeks, I'll be running through some of the most important changes to hunting and fishing regulations around the country. State legislatures are reconvening. Wildlife commissions are handing down new rules. And I'm here to keep you in the loop. 
In Colorado, the Parks and Wildlife Department has considered a proposal that would require archery hunters to wear blaze orange during the overlapping dates between archery and muzzleloader seasons in September. Since 1996, only two archers have died after being shot by muzzleloader hunters, but one of those incidents occurred this year. The tragic shooting has prompted the commission to consider a rule change that would require archery deer, elk, bear, and moose hunters to wear orange or pink on all public land west of Interstate 25. As you know, it just isn't right to say only on public land. Because the wildlife hunters pursue is not decided by public or private land. That is a public resource managed by the state. Alternatives to this new rule include requiring hunter orange on public and private land, or separating archery and muzzleloader seasons by date. This last option may require shortening archery season and extending muzzleloader season into October, but the die has been cast. We'll figure out what the decision is, hopefully by the next episode. Hats off to the Colorado Bowhunters Association for getting the news out when you could. Unfortunately, it got to me late. I'll let you know what they decide. If that's not crazy enough, Colorado SB 22031, that's 22-031, has been introduced by representatives Sonia Jaquez-Lewis, Joanne Geinel, Jody Amabile, and Monica Duran, which would make it illegal to hunt or trap bobcat, mountain lion, or lynx in the state of Colorado. These reps have some collective cat fancy. I would call them and other members of the Colorado House Natural Resources Committee and let them know what you think about that. In Utah, the Wildlife Board just adopted a rule that will prohibit the use of all trail cameras, both transmitting and non-transmitting on both public and private land from July 31 to January 31. As I've covered previously, Arizona has banned cellular trail cam use since 2018, and the state recently banned all trail camera use on all public and private land. Montana, New Mexico, New Hampshire, and Nevada have also placed restrictions on trail camera usage. According to surveys of hunters conducted by the Utah DWR, 49.9% of survey respondents said that trail camera use impacts fair chase, and 67.4% opposed the use of transmitting cameras during big game hunting seasons. However, 56.5% of hunters oppose a year-long ban on all trail camera use like that in Arizona. The Utah Wildlife Board voted 4-3 to impose the ban. In Montana, the Fish and Wildlife Commission is seeking public comment on over 200 changes to current wildlife regulations. According to the Helena Independent Record, these policies include restricting a hunter who is awarded a limited bull permit to hunting in that district, eliminating all limited permits for cow elk and offering extra licenses and offering an over-the-counter cow elk license that could be used on private land in any district. Many of these policies are aimed at reducing elk populations, which some say have grown too large. To complicate matters even further, Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks is working on updating the state's elk management plan, which hasn't been updated since 2005. That new plan won't be ready until 2023, and some folks would rather the Wildlife Commission wait until the new management plan is finalized before moving forward on new elk regulations. 
as previously discussed here on the Week in Review, at least one of these new regulation changes has been abandoned after a backlash from hunters and other concerned groups. Under that proposal, uh, let's just say it, it didn't make any sense. And groups like Montana Backcountry Hunters and Anglers strongly opposed the measure. They got the word out, and the Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks dropped the proposal in December. If you live in Montana, or really any state, there are two takeaways here. First, hunters and anglers have a real voice when it comes to wildlife regulations. If you care about a topic, let your voice be heard. It can make a difference. Second, your state might be considering major changes to hunting and fishing regulations. I'll give you a little hint. They are. Pay attention. I'll do my best to cover some of those changes over the next few weeks, but I can't touch on everything. Pay attention to your local news. Join rod and gun clubs in your state. At a minimum, sign up for their newsletters. You don't have to become a member. Don't let legislators and lobbyists change the laws without hearing from you. You have to be a part of this process. Finally, one legislative bright spot. You are now legally permitted to harvest roadkill in the great state of Wyoming. As of January 1, the quality state joins neighbors in Idaho, Utah, Colorado, South Dakota, and Montana and allowing residents and those just passing through to dine at the Grit Cafe or the Roadkill Cafe, whatever you want to call it. Interestingly, Nebraska, to the east, has no laws on the books allowing or outlawing salvage of roadkill. Only a few states, including Montana, allow people to take roadkill with no restrictions whatsoever. Most require a license and tag, the same as if you were taking the animal with a rifle or bow. Which, you know, I'll admit, has seemed strange. As though the state were including the grill of your Camry or Escalade as a legal means of take. Not the most precise or cost-effective approach, I would argue. In Wyoming, this new harvest permission is not brokered through Fish and Game, but through the Department of Transportation. The state's 511 app now provides traffic, weather updates, road closures, as well as the green light to take those antelope backstraps. This is a great thing to know about wherever you live. Search online and find out what your state requires. Then sign up and keep your knife, rubber gloves, a steel battery-operated chainsaw with canola oil in place of your bar and chain oil, and a couple of pillowcases in the car. In no time, you'll be saying, I swear, officer, it's for roadkill. There are around 1.5 million car-on-deer collisions in the U.S., and salvaging some of that resulting food makes the best out of a bad situation. Moving on to the crime desk. Idaho Fish and Game recently announced the sentencing of 55-year-old Paul Coward. That's C-O-W-A-R-D, it's spelled just like it sounds, Coward who pled guilty to a pile of poaching charges from the previous 10 years across multiple jurisdictions, including a felony offense for killing a mountain goat in Washington state, then hiding said goat in his home in the Idaho panhandle. Often the sentences for poaching make us scratch our heads. When a guy gets caught with a hundred deer heads and a single bag of meth, he tends to get harsher punishment for the drugs than for the killing of our collective wildlife. So the Coward case caught our eye for a very neat piece of sentencing. Coward will serve 90 days in prison, but instead of serving those days all in a row, he'll be in the cooler for the 30 days of archery elk season this year, 
as well as in 2023 and 2024. If he doesn't show up for one of those stretches, or if he commits any further offenses, he'll serve five solid years in the clink. Many of Coward's offenses were for illegally guiding and hunting over bait during archery elk season. And so, keeping Coward out of the woods when he could re-offend during that specific time makes a ton of sense. Like locking up a bank robber from 9 to 5 on weekdays and 10 to 4 on weekends. Coward was a notorious offender, and a lot of people in the Idaho panhandle wondered why it took so long to put him away. Wildlife crimes take place in the middle of nowhere, away from surveillance cameras, where physical evidence decays almost right away, and so building a poaching case is much, much harder than the typical hotel room shooting on your favorite cop show. Oh, and you know, your eyewitnesses typically are wildlife, so outside of bugles, grunts, growls, and chuckles, their statements can only be interpreted so far. But, you know, a mountain goat killing on CSI? Maybe CSI Vegas? That I'd be uh, willing to watch. That's all I've got for you this week. Thank you so much for listening. As per usual, if you're feeling a little short-handed on your yard chores, or maybe you're staring at that wood stack next to the wood stove and you're thinking, I need a little more muscle, go to www.steeldealers.com and find a local knowledgeable steel dealer near you. I promise you, you'll go in, they'll get you what you need, and they'll send you home with nothing that you don't. On top of that, get a hold of me by writing in to A-S-K-C-A-L, that's askcal at themeateater.com, and let me know what's going on in your neck of the woods. Thanks again. I'll talk to you next week. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. That's seafoamworks.com to learn more. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some access deer sticks, sent right to your door visit mauinuivenison.com that's m-a-u-i-n-u-i venison.com and use promo code cal for 20 percent off your first order